Hi, I'm your host, Susan Nay. Welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out. It's a series designed to help you demystify HR and the human resource processes. We're going to talk about people management and get the goods on and see how all this stuff works. You're going to hear from everyday heroes and get their perspectives as we touch on a wide variety of topics, topics that impact us in our work and in our work environments. You'll find nuggets for your treasure chest of learning. Hopefully you'll discover insights for your personal and your professional growth. I'm glad you're here. I suspect it's because you want to be the very best version of yourself, your personal best, and that you get understanding these systems and processes will help you on your journey, on your path. You ready to dare to soar? Want to join me at flight school? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, welcome to the podcast HR Inside Out. I'm your host, Susan Nay. I've shared with you previously how much I enjoy participating in a dialogue group called Recreate. It's based out of Stirling, Scotland, and I will put the link in the show notes. I can always count on vibrant and insightful conversations with the participants. And we've recently been delving into Amy Edmondson's excellent book, The Fearless Organization, Creating Psychological Safety in the Workplace for Learning, Innovation, and Growth. So today's podcast is on just that, psychological safety. And through that, I'm going to share some of what I've personally experienced and learned um, in my years as a HR practitioner. So what is psychological safety and why is it so important? Now, according to Amy, and I'm going to quote, in a psychologically safe workplace, people are not hindered by interpersonal fear. They feel willing and able to take the inherent interpersonal risks of candor. They fear holding back their full participation more than they fear sharing a potentially sensitive, threatening, or wrong idea. That's a mouthful, which is why (laughs) I've read you the quote. Now, why is this so important, this ability to speak up? I've been a practitioner within HR for many decades, and I've seen the negative impact of employees not feeling that it is safe to speak up. And there are times that I've been that person. The absence of psychological safety really does create fear, but it also creates unnecessary errors, toxic workplace cultures, and an absolute waste of energy and resources. And it's also been an impetus for pressure to put whistleblower language in collective agreements and and in organizational policies. What's a whistleblower? Well, the dictionary talks about one who reveals something covert or who informs against another, especially an employee who brings wrongdoings to the attention of the employer or by other employees bringing it to the attention of a government or some sort of law enforcement agency. It's a practice that's commonly protected legally from retaliation. But let's get back to psychological safety and a couple of examples. A female firefighter found dog poop inside her work boots and red dyed tampons in her locker. Pretty awful. 
Now, there were allegedly no witnesses. And there was no one prepared to step forward, even though it was well known that everyone suspected that they knew who had done it. I don't believe to this day that the perpetrator was ever discovered. Now, in fire and protective services, like some other paramilitary cultures, there can be a culture of what they consider or call member protection. No ratting on others. The price to pay potential ostracism and exclusion if you do come forward. I have experienced employees who were willing to be disciplined themselves rather than think on another employee. A huge price to pay for what members consider a tight-knit community if they want you to be there. Now, I've seen a similar culture exist in operations departments. Now, whether it was the quiet taking home of what individuals considered surplus or scrap materials without asking permission and others knowing of it, individuals not tattling that a colleague was doing drug deals while the teens were working in the field, even though those same colleagues were feared for their own safety. There were situations where Team members knew that a colleague was drinking on the job and struggled with an alcohol problem. And yet these same colleagues allowed the individual to continue to drive work vehicles on public roads. There's been covering up of accidents. I could go on and the list is disappointing. And this certainly makes investigation of such matters a challenge. As an HR investigator, you know that the person you're interviewing knows something but you also know that they're not willing to divulge because of the personal consequences to them from their workmates. The consequences of not speaking up are considered worse that, than whatever an HR practitioner can dish out, at times up to and including termination. A culture of silence is a dangerous culture. Now, Ms. Edmondson provides examples from the health industry um, of nurses not alerting doctors to errors being made for fear that their input might not be appreciated or might be viewed as insubordinate or of their simply losing credibility in the doctor's eyes. We often need that respect and support of those same individuals for our own career growth and our opportunities. So the short-term pain of not being able to speak up is often felt to be a small price to pay for the longer-term potential of workplace ostracism and exclusion, to the point that lives have been lost, wrong limbs amputated, incorrect medications administered, and in the example that I provided, female firefighter devastated that a colleague would stoop that low and that no one would step forward to support her. We talk about the importance of employee engagement. We conduct anonymous surveys to determine where we need to improve. And what are those surveys telling us? As shared by Ms. Edmondson in a 2017 Gallup poll, they found that three in 10 employees strongly agree with the statement that their opinion counts at work. When employees express opinions, and those opinions are not heard, 
are responded to or are discouraged, employees quit speaking up. Gallup calculated that by moving that ratio from three out of 10 to six out of 10, organizations can actually realize a 27% reduction in turnover, a 40% reduction in safety incidences, and a 12% increase in productivity. Wow. You know, with the climate of skill shortages, retention challenges, and global competition, it seems silly not to be paying more attention to this very critical variable. She also provides the statistic that today's employees at all levels spend 50% more time collaborating than they did 20 years ago. But hiring talented individuals is not enough. Those employees must be able to work well together. And part of this is letting people know that they're responsible for understanding how their tasks interact with other people's tasks, emphasizing interdependence. So, Employees feel hindered by interpersonal fear of speaking up when something needs saying is not good. Again, on a whole nother level. Now, let's let's talk about changes. And I'm sure you've all been impacted by changes um, that were made that, that you had no say or little say in. As an example, in one organization I worked with, a decision was made to create an open office. Now, I know employees absolutely felt that their concerns were not being listened to. And I watched the impact of the change on employee demeanor. I felt unheard too as I tried to raise concerns to those making the decisions and felt equally um, not paid attention to. It felt like it didn't matter how employees felt or what they wanted. The area was to look pristine. And this was obviously more important than employees' comfort or their ability to work effectively, even though the public could not see most of the office space or the employees impacted. With organizational change, creating a psychologically safe environment is necessary to help people cope with the uncertainty and the anxiety of that change, both big and small. And we've certainly experienced a lot of change over the last few years with the impact of the pandemic. Let's talk about the fear of making mistakes. Edmondson talks about not being pro-failure, but of being pro-learning. And I recall two instances that left significant impressions on me. Now, the first was for really early in my career and involved I'd heard about an assistant who had done what on the surface to me seemed just stupid uh, to me as an observer. And I'm young too at this point. Now she'd sent out an entire mailing to a large distribution list as requested, except that she'd use those bubble type, you know, those envelopes that have got the bubbles in it and protect the, the inner contents. Uh, eight and a half by 11 inch ones rather than just regular envelopes. It was big distribution. Now it was a small organization. So of course this very much depleted the supply of bubble envelopes and it was quite costly. And the action came to the attention of the president. This individual dealt with the matter calmly and he ensured it was a learning opportunity for her. Now, of course she never made the error again. She didn't lose face. The matter was dealt with kindly and quickly. 
And even at that point in my career, I remember being so impressed with how the matter had been handled. I'm sure it was incredibly embarrassing for her. She was young and inexperienced. And I sure hope that if somebody had seen her doing what she was doing, that they would have said something and shown her the correct envelopes to use. The second incident involved an individual sending a package of the organization's notes and evidence, all very confidential, to the union rather than to the organization's lawyers. It was actually the union that called to say that, uh, huh, I think we've got a package that we're not supposed to be seeing, and they kindly returned it. So what happened? Had this person not been provided appropriate directions about where the package was to be sent? And obviously the person didn't really understand the sensitivity around the material. I don't believe it was simple sloppiness. It was important to consider the part that her boss had potentially played in the error. As Edmondson shares, it's important for leaders to understand and communicate that learning happens when there's enough psychological safety to dig into the failures lessons carefully. Yeah, that was one that stuck with me. Have you ever made a mistake and just hope that no one would notice? Or perhaps witness someone else doing something that violated rules or policy and kept silent? I think we've all been there. See, as human beings, that's our norm. We all tend to be conflict avoiders. And we aren't typically well-trained in having difficult conversations. Yet the more that we talk to one another, the more that we become comfortable doing so, we get better at this. When we get more comfortable expressing an opposing opinion or perhaps offering a different idea, we also become more comfortable with those conversations around interpersonal conflict. Edmondson calls it productive conflict. It's part of a psychological safety triad known as Palio's Principles, Palio's Principles. And they include candor, transparency, and learning from errors. Edmondson adds conflict resolution, and she defines that as the finding what is true and what to do about it to the mix. Through the book, I also learned that there are some universities offering courses on learning to deal from or learning to learn from failure helping students better deal with failures, challenges, and setbacks. They're helping their students foster resilience. I know that wasn't part of the curriculum when I did any of my credentialed learnings, and wouldn't it be wonderful if we could start adding this as the basics that one must learn? Now, I've provided examples of learning from error. What about from candor? Would you be okay if someone questioned you on how you were moving forward with an initiative? How would you feel if someone suggested you were making a mistake? As leaders, we can model this. As an example, when a colleague is spoken over, we can intervene and ask that they be allowed to finish what they were saying. We can encourage input and honesty. And as leaders, we need to ensure that when people do speak up, we must be appreciative, respectful, and offer a path forward. It is all about the how. As I think about the how, I think about a supervisor who felt it was okay of accusing me of stealing scissors in front of all my work team when I first started working at BC Tell. Now tell us. I was 16. I'd purchased the scissors during my lunch hour and I was tucking them into my bag when I got back to the office. 
I was very lucky that I still had the wrappings and the receipt, but we don't forget about these incidents. They leave a massive impression on us. She was expressing what she was thinking at the time. It was her how that was not psychologically safe for me or for my colleagues who were witnessing what was happening. I didn't trust her after that, and I left the department as quickly as I could. It's an example of the type of thing that results in people going silent, keeping their head down, doing their work and going home. Presenteeism, present in body but not in spirit, and not a healthy way to spend our work days. Can you think of a time where you were singled out and no one said anything in your defense? Like the female firefighter, it feels awful and it does take time to recover from. Engaged employees feel passionate about the job and are committed to the organization. Those are the organizations that I love working for. And they are the places that I feel I can truly contribute to the mission and to the, the vision and the organizations that live their values. They're also the organizations that tend to attract top talent. As we strive to improve diversity and equity and inclusion in our workplace, we can't achieve any of these without ensuring that these same work environments are considered psychologically safe. Our candor and willingness to engage in productive conflict is part and parcel of the learning from different points of view. Wherever we're in a people oversight role, we need to understand the importance of our own behavior in this context. Edmondson calls it defining the role of the boss from having answers and giving orders to setting direction and inviting input to clarify and to improve. From assessing others' performance to creating conditions for continued learning to achieve excellence. What she terms leadership inclusiveness. And it includes three behavioral attributes. The leaders be approachable and accessible. The leaders acknowledge their fallibility. We don't know everything and we do make mistakes. And the leaders proactively invite input. I love how she also talks about the attributes of a powerful question. And she encourages that in doing that, we generate curiosity in the listener. We stimulate reflective conversation. The, the, the questions are thought provoking, that they surface underlying assumptions, they invite creativity and new possibilities, they generate energy and forward movement, they channel attention and focus inquiry, they stay with the participant, touch a deep meaning, and they evoke more questions. She provides an excellent example. And this was uh, one from the healthcare um, industry. Instead of asking to ensure that there were no further safety infractions, and they'll put in quotes, did you see lots of mistakes or harm? She instead asked, was everything as safe as you would have liked it to have been? In this case, with their parent, with their patients. There's a whole different feel to it. It's genuine, it's curious, it's direct, it's respectful, and it's concrete. She also talks about 
what she terms as framing the work. Now, frames consist of assumptions or beliefs that we layer onto reality, we being each one of us. Our prior experiences affect how we think and feel about what's presented around us in very subtle ways. Like the information being forwarded to the union instead of to the lawyers, an assumption was made that the assistant understood the context of the information being forwarded and that she'd understood the labor relations process around grievance arbitration. In the end, this hadn't been her reality or her training. The boss should have known that. Let's talk about behavioral attributes. As a boss, it is important to acknowledge that we're fallible and that we don't know everything. We're asked to make all sorts of decisions quickly and often without the background research or data that we would prefer. It is imperative for team members to be able to share their knowledge and to make an outcome potentially even better. And to correct us when we're just about to, for example, administer the wrong drug or do something else wrong that could have serious consequences. And I'm certain that you each have your own examples. What about this being approachable and more accessible? Is your open door policy truly that? I learned from a personality profile too that individuals with my profile must watch becoming what they call hangry. We become so focused on what we're doing that we, we miss taking breaks. We can become overly hungry and as a result, we can come across quite sharply to those who are hanging out at our office doors, hoping for a minute of our time so they can receive res responses to their queries. It led me to wonder if this has been me over the years, one of those Jahari window blind spots that no one was willing to tell me about. Was I really as approachable as I thought I was? In our busyness, do our teams really see us as accessible? They're really good questions to ponder over and to correct if we could be doing this better. And do we sincerely seek input? Are we leaving our team members feeling that when we do, that their input is truly valued and considered? The research is confirming the incredible significance and importance of this. I think we know it, but do we genuinely practice it? Are we doing what we could be doing to create psychologically safe work environments? I suspect for most of us, we could be doing more. And we really need to be asking these important questions of our teams, of our teams, and doing something with what we discover. The first step for us in our people oversight roles is to be vulnerable, open, and approachable. In doing so, we give others permission to do similarly. Removing our masks helps others do likewise. And when we can bring all of us, our genuine selves, to our work, able to provide input and offer our expertise, we all contribute to creating those wonderful, engaged workforces that we want to work with them. And it creates ripples throughout our organizations. Each of us has the ability of shaping the climate in which we work in small ways. You can do your part to create psychological safety within your own work team. You can be the boss who doesn't know everything and 
works with the expertise of others to find the answers. You can take the time to truly listen. You can remember that you are adding your own time frame or your own frame from your own experiences before you respond. You can be approachable and accessible, curious, and willing to engage in what might feel like conflict so you can become aware of divergent viewpoints and build trust that you mean what you say. And you can demonstrate daily that you're truly interested in working with your team to create an environment where your team feel passionate about the job and committed to the organization. Psychological safety, where people are not hindered by interpersonal fear, where people feel willing and able to take the inherent interpersonal risks of candor, where people fear holding back their full participation more than they feel sharing, they fear sharing a potentially sensitive, threatening, or wrong idea. What could you start doing today to contribute to a psychologically safe workplace where you work? And if you feel your work environment is already psychologically safe, what might you do to ensure that the team you are overseeing also feel that way? I hope that I have left you something to reflect on and to consider from today's podcast. Thank you for listening. Remember, dare to soar. Believe you can. I do. Have a great rest of your day. Susan signing out. Well, we've reached our destination for today. Time to lower those wheels and prepare for landing. Thank you for joining me. If I said something that resonated with you, please subscribe to the podcast and to share it with others. It would be awesome if you also took the time to provide a review whatever your favorite social media sites are. If you have a question or an area that you hope I'll cover in a future session, please send me a note either to my website, www.effectingchangefromwithin.com or to my email, susangene at gmail.com. I look forward to our next time together. In the meantime, soar high. I believe you can. Susan signing off. Thanks again for joining me.